Well, the focus is more on the day ahead rather than the day we've just been through with non-farm payrolls just around the corner, the Bank of Japan meeting as well, UK GDP, Canadian employment as well, if you care about those. But if we do want to look back, well, some job-related numbers in the US we can look at, maybe giving us a clue of what happens later today. And China's CPI and PPI, not exporting inflation just yet. In fact, quite the reverse, hopefully, just like the good old days. It's Friday, the 10th of March, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar has wound back a little this morning. It's down 0.4% on the DXY with the Aussie dollar flat against the dollar rather than the gain you'd expect with the uh, with the weaker US dollar. The Aussie dollar now 65.90 uh, US cents. Uh, the pound, one of the best performers, it's up 0.6%. Bond yields heading down in the US. 10-year treasuries down 7 basis points, down to 3.92%. Uh, but yields were rising in the UK. 10-year gilts up 3 basis points. Aussie 10-year yields down 4 yesterday to 3.7%, a bit lower than that on futures overnight. And equity markets down for the US, 2% down for the Nasdaq at close, down 1.6% for the Dow and minus 1.8% for the S&P 500. Those losses really picking up towards the close. Uh, the DAX just in the green at close in Europe. The Eurostox 50 only just in the red, but the FTSE 100 closed down 0.6%. And we're seeing falls in oil as well. WTI down 1.5%, Brent down one and a quarter, one and a third percent despite a bigger than expected drop in reserves in the United States. You'd have thought it would go the other way. Brent at 81.50 a barrel. So a little less optimism, but that could all change. Let's talk about that now with NAB's Gavin Friend in London. I guess a lot of this is uh, positioning for payrolls tonight, isn't it, Gavin? Getting ready for a fall in numbers, it seems. Yeah, morning, Phil. I think I think you're right. I think the most notable uh, shift in markets uh, in the overnight session on Thursday is the decline in yields. We know we've seen, to your point, some quite big moves down two-year yields in the US to 494 from 505, slightly less in the tens. Similar size moves in Germany, slightly less in the UK, a dollar a little bit lower. That's that's all consistent. And I think on the day we can we can look at things like um, US weekly jobless claims uh, rising and higher layoffs in the latest Challenger uh, survey as drivers. I mean, if we look at the uh, weekly claims. Um, you know, they've jumped finally after seven weeks of, you know, holding below 200,000 to 211,000. It's the biggest rise since November. Bad weather in California was a likely factor, as was uh, a shift in New York, where I read that uh, school workers have reportedly negotiated into their contracts the ability to file for jobless benefits when schools go on their break. Uh, as they did last week. So, you know, looking forward, you might say, well, the California weather effect won't continue. And one would think that the New York school issue should be able to be adjusted away in time. Yeah. And then there's and looking, then, then that challenger number, so that the employment firm challenger, I mean, they showed lots of layoffs, but most, but most of them were in the tech sector. And we sort of know about that. And it, we had ADP numbers yesterday. I mean, maybe we forget about yesterday or the day before, because those ADP numbers were telling the opposite story, weren't they? The, you know, the labour market was still looking pretty Tight. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the point. You know, step back from whatever's happening with California and New York in the claims side of things, and we know there have been a lot of uh, redundancy announcements and layoffs in the tech sector over the last, you know, few months. As and as we're hearing at the moment, the financial sector is not immune to that. They're starting to wind up with job cuts there. 
Um, now, a lot of these will get some sort of severance pay, which you know might might mean that that, that prevents people registering for uh, an unemployment benefit for a few months. But these things are coming through. And to your point, the Challenger report announced. Uh, it quintupled um, the number of uh, layoffs from February uh, a year ago. 78,000 job cuts in February this year, up from 15,000 a year ago. Um, and it brought the two-month average to two-month total, to, total sorry, to, to 180,000, the most in any Jan Fed period since well, way back in 2009. So things, I mean, mm. the numbers are still fairly modest, but they're, they're starting to build in that direction. And I think we can say looking down the road at jobless claims, all of this is going to be building up to some higher claims, um, you know, in, in the next few months. I mean, that's, you know, that I think it seems yeah. to be the, 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 the direction. I wonder also whether, you know, are, are we seeing markets reacting to the PPI and uh, CPI numbers coming out of, of China? Because there was the fear, of course, you know, if those numbers were, were up, that we could see perhaps inflation being exported. But no, you know, it looks like it's deflationary. And perhaps that's a good, you know, good old fashioned deflation spread from China to the rest of the world. That could be a marvellous thing. Yeah, it's certainly a more benign picture there, isn't it? I mean, CPI mm. for February was up just 1% from 2.1 in January. The forecast was for nearly double that. PPI was four, is yeah. falling. It's down 1.4% um, from, uh, from the month before. Um, so I, I think the first thing listeners should be aware of is, is that the earlier Lunar New Year holiday this year being in January rather than February meant that the base for comparing was higher. So I think, you know, we need to be careful. That's why it's best, I think, to average out the sort of January and February numbers. So Jan Feb CPI in China was... 1.6%, up 1.6% year on year versus 1.8% in December. Lower, but not, you know, not, not as low as the February number on its own would suggest. Food, that was a factor. Um, but um, the, in the bigger picture, the, the decline is broad-based. Um, and on balance, I think that's probably a surprise to most observers, given the reopening story that we've been talking you know, non-stop about for the last few months. So, I mean, what are the possible drivers here? One is likely to be slower exports from China to the rest of the world, given the slowdown that we're seeing around the rest of the world. Rest of the world, and I think that will cap, you know, non-food prices. It's possible uh, that that's also a factor in behind the more sort of cautious GDP numbers that we saw earlier yeah. this week. I mean, yeah. you know, for de- up for debate maybe. Another factor, though, is likely to be that the higher activity, you know, as the economy reopens, tourism hasn't really sort of kind of taken off. And, that, you know, arguably, until we get sort of the, the, the next really big holiday, which is in early April, there's another one in May, you know, you, you might say that when those, there's nothing really stopping Chinese tourists then in, in, in adding to this. So we might look forward and think, you know, things should improve on an inflation front from here. But I mean, if, if these low readings continue, and it's not impossible thinking about the effects from base effects from the Ukraine war and what have you, it potentially opens up for more, um, Chinese policy support, um, you know, yeah. if they wanted to go down that road, um, and that might help spur but, the domestic economy, even if the sort of export side is a little bit uh, is a little bit. Yeah, you know, below although the place, although they have placed they've placed that cap on GDP, which would sort of imply that they weren't going to go uh, all out on that, doesn't it? But we'll but we'll see we'll see what happens there. Well, I think there. the point I'm just making but, there is is actually it might well be that 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 more cautious GDP number n- nobody knows, but it might well be that that reflects more. 
sort of domestic demand and, and, a, and a hobbled still export market. Mm. And that's why they can't go for a higher number. I, you know, I, I throw that out there. So, so where are we right now then? So, we, I mean, the market is certainly uh, positioning itself, isn't it, for uh, tonight's non-farm payrolls. It, it looks like there's a feeling that there's a, a that, you know, we are heading for more of a slowdown, you know, perhaps the expectation that these job numbers will be a, a surprise on the downside or, you know, at least they won't be an upside surprise again. Let's hope not anyway. I mean, another sign was the uh, the EIA figures overnight showing that crude oil stocks have fallen a lot in the US, down 1.8 million barrels when they're expected to rise 0.4 million. I mean, there was a story earlier in the week in the Wall Street Journal that the US might have reached peak oil production, shale oil production. All of that you would have thought would be causing rising oil prices but not if we're heading for a slowdown and you know we are seeing oil prices down today as well so there's all these indicators the market is not expecting uh, you know a, a bounce back so maybe we are looking for weaker job numbers today well of course you know this has always been always is always going to be the sort of the focus uh, for this week data wise anyway um but but we've had those mm. comments from fed chair jerome powell twice this week you know, which kind of litter another fire under yields, really, in terms of him teeing up or at least signalling that the Fed was open to a faster pace of hikes again from the 25 to 50 and, you know, maybe a higher terminal rate. But then we saw in his second appearance, he kind of rode back a bit. I mean, I perhaps it wasn't him rowing back. It was more him emphasising that the Fed hasn't yet decided on this and that there is a, a conditionality, if you like, um, to upping the pace of hikes, which is, and in light of the sort of surge in activity that we've seen for the last month now, since that last payroll report in, in the US, that the totality of this data surge needs to continue for the Fed to do that. Well, it is exactly one month on, and we're going to see in the next few hours tonight, um, you know, whether we are seeing, as, as yeah. people should reasonably expect, a moderation from 517,000 jobs. Um, Which was a, st- a staggering number, isn't it, really? It, it, uh, it half was. a million. So how far would it have to row back for the, you know, because there's all this talk now about whether they're going to go for 50 basis points at the next meeting. How far would that number have to come down so, for people to start so I think, saying? I think, you know, with yields coming back in a little bit and maybe people are just thinking, you know, Powell himself mentioned about the data should slow. We have this, you know, expectation of 215 uh, non-farm jobs. So the whisper number is slightly higher than that, but it's still on a two-handle. Um, I, I would say, you know, one rule of thumb might be to say that if we get jobs created less than 200,000 and we get of course the all-important average hourly earnings below 0.3 month on month I think and that's 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 something that the market would say oh that's that's notable things are slowing down and I you know I do think that after a whole month of strong numbers the market needs more than just one month's non-farm payroll. They'll need to see a succession of not just payroll numbers, but m- numbers coming through the rest of the next few weeks. But something like 0.3 in average hourly earnings and a sub 200, I think, would set markets off and you'd see yields come back a bit. You'd see that curve inversion move back below 100, you know, just, just in, the ni- in the 90s maybe. You'd think cu- cu- yields would calm down a bit. On the other side, if you were to get something, you know, north of 300,000 and above 0.4, on the um, average hourly earnings, you're probably going to get the opposite effect. People would say, well, okay, you know, earnings aren't really slowing down, they're ticking up again, and um, it's still st- it's still strong job growth. Remember, before that 517,000, we were running at something like 
you know, 260, 270,000. So, you know, that would show the pace isn't really slowing. Yeah. Well, let's hope we do see uh, more of the former rather than the latter and we don't see those bond yields bouncing back up and uh, the Aussie dollar take, feeling feeling the strain as a consequence of all of that. Look, uh, we have the Bank of Japan, of course, coming up today. Uh, we also have a, a, a Canada's um, uh, employment numbers and wages numbers as well for, for, the, for the Bank of Canada so we can find out whether they were right to keep things on hold this week. But the Bank of Japan today, uh, the final read as well before that for Japan's Q4 GDP growth rate was revised down from 0.6% to 0.1%. That's the annualised rate. And the annual rate for Q3 also revised down ever so slightly from minus 1 to minus 1.1. Not a great deal, but stagnant seems like the word. So what does the Bank of Japan do about that? Because this is the last Kuroda meeting today. And, you know, there's been some talk about, well, maybe he'll throw in a surprise for his last meeting. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's fair to say that the consensus and NAB, you know, we're not expecting any fireworks we think it'll go fairly smoothly but to your point um you know there is some speculation out there that uh he might decide to make uh his successor uh kazu Ueda's job a little easier um to you know take some pressure off of uh, the yields at the moment and that the the, the the boj has to defend with a last minute widening of the ycc especially as there is some sort of mounting evidence that um, you know, wage rises are starting to come through. The problem with that is rather than make things easier or buying any time, it'll set hairs running, the yen will spike. And as the waiter has said, you know, we still need to ensure that inflation is getting more embedded in the system. The last thing really that Japan needs is a surge in yen, which will obviously push back on inflation. So. You know, it's for those reasons that we think that, um, you know, it'll go smoothly tonight and then we'll, um, we'll, we'll shift into some sort of policy uh, change around the middle of this year. But if, if something were to happen, then, of course, the yen will spike. You know, we will get a lower dollar yen. Um, do they need to do that when the, when the you know, the, the economy is going nowhere? I mean, there's just no growth happening there at all. So surely that, that, that impacts, infl- you know, reduces inflationary pressures, doesn't it? Yeah, no, I don't think, I, to, to, to my point, so I, I don't think they do. And uh, steady as she goes, that's the sort of, you know, telegraphing mm. we've had from Ueda in his, um, in his appearances thus far. Um, and, yeah. and that's what we expect. So, so the surprise might be no surprise. Yeah. Uh, look, <laughs> uh, besides payrolls for the US, uh, employment numbers in Canada, we also mentioned, we also get the final read of Germany's inflation rate for February. UK's three-month average GDP, it's flatlined there, of course, uh, only just avoiding a recession. And uh, new yuan loans for China as well. But obviously, all eyes on payrolls. Uh, we'll see what that brings. Uh, good to talk, Gavin. We'll catch you again very soon. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Phil. Cheers. And that is the morning call for today and for the week. I am Phil Dobby, back again on Monday morning. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening.